Up next, Soft Shackle versus Ha <laughs> Shackle. That's right. Single it up, ladies. We're going in. I'm John Cadogan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Hit me up on the website for that. When I was a very young man, of course, dinosaurs roamed the earth and women were still throwing it at me from time to time. Back then, shortly after the invention of the wheel, we only ever had steel shackles. Imagine that. I have such fond memories of it being hurled my way now that I think about it. Not the shackles, obviously. I do try to keep up. Youth, absolutely wasted on the young, just saying. If only I could get it thrown at me again, just once, half enthusiastically. Men were men back then, that's for damn sure. Mainly because as kids, we just didn't get a trophy for turning up and failing. You had to actually earn that shit. Imagine that. He offended me! Was not grounds for a friggin' tantrum or to have somebody else imprisoned. Go figure. It was an opportunity to harden up and get forged by adversity. Jesus. I don't think that's romanticising the past, but it was rather nice back then. I have to say, in a hard sort of way. And since then, obviously, society's gone a bit soft. And lately there's even an upstart shackle on the scene, softer and weaker, but in some ways also <sighs> oh, imagine that, that's just awesome. The soft shackle, ladies and gentlemen. So what's really better, you know, hard shackle or soft? Several of you asked me this question and if you lack the time to watch the whole video, the answer is pretty simply, Hard shackles are still better at 90% of off-road recovery operations. And that's based on facts and logic. Imagine that. But there is one significant scenario in which the soft shackle just eats the hard shackle of friggin' breakfast. And we're going to get to that right at the end. Where it shines, I'd suggest, it really shines. And you can live without a soft shackle in your recovery kit. You don't need one. There's a workaround for that particular shiny soft shackle scenario. But you should put four hard shackles in your recovery kit if you, you know, go out there and beat the wilderness into submission. You should get two just like this that are rated at 4.7, 4.75 tonnes, something like that. And a couple like this, slightly smaller, rated at 3.2. The big ones, obviously, a bit stronger, but the small ones are more likely to fit into spaces that are a little bit more compromised, you know, a little bit more space-restricted spots. The small ones are really good for that. And they are both plenty strong devices, as we will soon see. Shackles came up on the channel the other day in the context of discussing factors of safety generally and how these things work. Factors of safety are essentially the margin between safe usage limits of equipment and the point at which catastrophic failure is likely to occur. And predictably, the comments feed lit up on this. Steel shackle versus soft shackle for vehicle recoveries. Would love an engineer's 
opinion. So if you'd like the proper beer garden physics explanation of all of this, I'd suggest that it exists in two parts. And first, the part about the relative merits, the positives and the negatives of each kind relative to the other. And second, the part about myth-busting the bullshit of four-wheel drive recovery. Is that a soapbox I see before me? It's such a lot of that four-wheel drive recovery bullshit, frankly. See, shackles and other items of that nature, you know, wire rope in winches, slings made of synthetic material, things of that nature, they're generally adapted from the hoisting industry, you know, cranes carrying heavy shit overhead in factories and things like that. And the parts have been cobbled together to form roughly a system for off-road recovery, which kind of works in practice. If you take a shackle and a sling and a wire rope hoist and a hook out of a factory, maybe a snatch block as well, you're essentially looking at all the component load-bearing parts of an off-road winch recovery, right? And the way the numbers work out there, okay, not so much in industry, but out there doing off-road shit. And the way they're presented to you across the counter and in articles written by uninformed numpties, the bullshit claims made about some of the parts in particular, and I'm looking at you, worn winches, especially winches now that I mention it, the former Soviet Union bureaucracy could not do a worse job getting the facts across on this stuff, frankly. And this is compounded by intrinsic characteristics of off-road recovery, like never really knowing exactly what the actual loads are. See, if you want to, I don't know, put a tank underneath a giant crane to get it on a ship to go and, I don't know, invade the world, one generally knows exactly how much the tank weighs, and one can then put a hoisting package together so that the working load limit of each component lifting the tank is not exceeded. How nice. Recovery off-road, it's just not like that. There's generally no way of knowing exactly what the loads are. It's all quite confusing, frankly, and if you don't have an engineering degree or work routinely in industry lifting heavy shit, it's very damn hard to wrap your brain around. So I'm going to unpack some of that right now, the beer garden physics of lifting stuff and recovery, generally. For this report, I got my Sabre soft shackle here from Spares Box, which was about 60 bucks if memory serves. There's a link in the description. I had a bunch of these uh, steel shackles already lying around, okay? And who doesn't? Are we men or what? Steel shackles, they're going to last statistically, for eternity, right? It's very hard to kill one, although I have killed many in testing laboratories, which is quite therapeutic. Links to the hard and soft shackles from Spares Box in the description. And full disclosure here, I'm going to get a small commission if you purchase a hard shackle or a soft shackle via those links. And in my view, Spares Box is a good, reliable spare parts operation based in Sydney. They're not sponsoring this episode. I bought the soft shackle myself with my own fine coin and this report is my honest personal opinion. Might as well get my pet hate out of the way first, okay? And that would be, quote-unquote, strength. What a bullshit term. Unless you know strength in relation to what? In relation to when it breaks or in relation to 
what it's safe to use it up to. And typically, in the case of steel shackle versus soft shackle, the two designations of strength are related to exactly opposite things. So when you look at the small steel shackle, 3.2 tonnes stamped on the outside, and then you look at soft shackle and it says 14,700 kilos, you go, well, it doesn't look like it, but this is substantially stronger even than the big one. Okay, and I get how people could be led down this path of believing that because, you know, unless you work in industry and you deal with things of this nature all the time and not everyone does, then it's all very confusing. But in fact, the 14.7 tonne rating for the soft shackle is actually related to when it starts to break. That's it's like minimum failure load, whereas... These ratings for the steel shackles, 3.2 and 4.75 tonnes, they're more related to what's the working load limit in industry. And from bitter personal experience, having broken a bunch of these kinds of shackles in laboratories, I can tell you that, you know, officially the factor of safety is about six, but in practice it's more like seven. So your baby shackle, you know, your little tiny 3.2 tonne shackle is far more likely to break at about 20 tonnes, something of that nature, maybe as much as 25. And your larger of the two common four-wheel drive shackles, right, they might break at 30 to 35 tonnes, even though they're only rated only, rated to be used up to 4.75. So there's that. So we're not really talking about the same thing, okay? And I don't know what the working load limit for a soft shackle is because it's simply never stated, all right? You don't get that kind of data from the manufacturer. And you'd have to assume if it's about six, let's call it two and a half tonnes worth of safe working load or working load limit, whatever you want to call it. These things are industry terms that really don't pertain all that much to, you know, four-wheel driving because there's no code for four-wheel driving. There's no standard for four-wheel drive recovery. You can't look up AS whatever for that kind of thing. The other thing to remember in the context of these loads for the steel shackle, it's when they're loaded like that, right? So one load item here, one load item sort of in the bow, pulling the shackle apart in this way. If you load the shackle up this way, okay, and you pull it sort of horizontally instead of longitudinally, it's just not going to be as strong and the thread will strip out of here and this arm will unfold in this way, okay? So definitely not as strong that way. And if you're wondering about the mechanism for breakage of these things, they typically break in the pin right at the root of the thread here because that uh, V that's carved in where the thread starts in the shank there it tends to be a load concentrator and it's quite exciting when they break for the first few times and you definitely don't want to be in the way when that kind of energy gets unloaded. You don't want to be in the way when any of this energy gets unloaded and that's essentially what we're talking about here. If you want to think like an engineer about when I should use a steel shackle and when I should use a soft shackle, then you really have to think about the operational pros and cons which I'll go into now, okay? So we've talked about the failure which is, you know, steel shackle, even the small steel shackle, stronger than the conventional sort of soft shackle. So there's that. When you look at cost, 
it's under 20 bucks for a steel shackle and about 60 bucks for this one. At least it was 60 bucks at, I get a little bit of change out of 60 bucks from Spares Box when I bought this one. So, you know, you'll save a bit of money if you just use the steel shackles, but there is one operational case for the soft shackle. We'll get to that right at the end. Um, buoyancy is another factor, and a lot of four-wheel drive commentators have said, oh, it's a real advantage that these things float because, you know, if you drop this one in some muddy shithole that you're bogged in, it could be hard to find it. Well, yeah, maybe that's true. And if you drop this one into fast-flowing water, then you're going to have to sprint through a whole bunch of uneven surface whatever, you know, lucky stones, which might not be that lucky if there's crocodiles or you break your friggin' ankle chasing after the bloody thing. So there's that. So maybe that's an each-way bet, buoyancy, you know, who cares, really. Uh, let's think about projectile risk, which is one of these huge red flag issues. I'd suggest if this hits you in the head at 100 k's an hour, you probably live to fight another day, whereas this baby lights out no afterwards. And hey, that's the real risk here when it comes to some sort of dodgy contrivance of a four-wheel drive recovery operation. You do not want to put together a whole bunch of kit where it is likely that a shackle can come loose and head towards you at high speed because then that could be bad. All right, so sharp edge resilience as well. When you look at those ARB and other manufacturers, Ironman, TJM, whatever, these manufacturers who make recovery points, designated recovery points that you bolt up to your vehicle, typically with a working load limit of five tons, all right? They have sharp edges in the context of load, all right? They're not razor sharp edges, but they're just 90 degree edges that are maybe laser cut and minimally radiused, okay? And if you put a shackle like this, a soft shackle like this on one of those points, that sharp edge is enough to break them, okay? And what happens is, you know, you get a nice little abrasive resistant shield, a sheath for this one, that's great. If you take that off, and you can buy soft shackles like this as well, probably not as good. If one of these is up against a 90 degree edge under load, then inevitably what is going to happen is these shackles subjected to loads like that will fail early. They'll fail earlier than this because that's not how they're designed to be used. And I guess... The sheath is a real advantage in the context of abrasion resistance. It's not much protection against a sharp edge, but the dark side of having a sheath like this and something you want to be aware of is that the sheath can hide damage. The sheath's not carrying any load. It's these black fibres that are doing all the load carrying and the sheath can hide the damage, okay? And in this case, what you can't see really will hurt you, all right? So it does pay from time to time to whip the sheath off, have a look at the soft shackle and make sure it's undamaged. And if it is damaged, it's out of here, okay? And you need a new one. Overall durability, steel wins every time. It's superb, okay? Heat death of the universe, steel shackles, still going strong. Soft shackle, not so much. They're more of a shelf life thing. Number of usage cycles that you put this sort of thing through is gonna mean eventually it's gonna wear out, okay? It's just that. Are they easy to use? Yeah, I'd say they're both easy to use. The pro tip, I guess, for using a shackle such as this is you pull the pin out, you put whatever through it, that's cool, and then you do the pin back up. And this is where a lot of people go wrong. 
they go straight up to here till they get it finger tight, or maybe they even get the pliers or their leather man and they cinch it up even tighter. Ba-bow. Big mistake, okay? You should get it finger tight and then back it off half a turn. This is what they do in industry because, you know, if you're hanging something really heavy off there and it manages to pull on the pin, it can tighten the pin up quite considerably. If you put five tons of load, like it's the torque wrench from hell, and you don't want to be in there, you know, stuck to some, you know, you just don't want to be in a situation where you can't undo this after you've got your vehicle unstuck, okay? You don't want to have to cut the strap or something of that nature. So just back it off half a turn because it's not tension in the thread that's holding the unit together, right? It's the shear in the pin that just holds the whole apparatus together. There's no advantage to tightening it up and there's a huge potential disadvantage if you tighten it up to finger tight and then the load cranks it just that little bit extra and you haven't got the tools on hand to get the bloody thing undone, okay? And the other thing to remember, I guess, about your soft shackle. The failure mechanism for your soft shackle is pretty clearly if you don't load it up against the sharp edge what happens is this knot ultimately fails and gets pulled out. There's plenty of videos online about the failure of these kinds of shackles and they always orbit around this knot just getting pulled to smithereens and failing to exist anymore. So there's that. And obviously if that happens don't tie another knot in the thing. It's time to throw it away. So Basically, potential for misuse, you've got your pin tightening and your projectile risk with your steel shackle, and you've got the potential to use a soft shackle when it is damaged or up against a hard edge. And basically what I do then is I think about all these factors and then make the case for the use of a soft shackle. So if I've got a soft shackle, when should I use it? Or do I need to get one so that I can do particular things that steel shackles are bad at? And obviously, if you carve all of that up, the case for soft shackles exists where there are no sharp edges and where there is a high projectile risk if you use a steel shackle, okay? So I'd be just thinking about it in those terms. If you've got all of that kit in your recovery kit, you've got a bunch of hard shackles and a soft shackle or two, you should only use your soft shackle in environments where the sharp edge risk is minimum and the projectile risk is high because in any other scenario, just use a steel shackle because it will endure more cycles before failure. It's going to save you some money and they're also, quote unquote, stronger. So there's that. So let's look at perhaps the most common four-wheel drive recovery scenario, which is your basic snatch strap recovery. And the caveat on all of this, okay, is snatch strap recoveries need to be gentle. They're not an opportunity to be a ballistic dickhead, okay? A lot of people do that. I don't know why, because it really does ramp up the risk. It ramps up the risk of component failure or damage to people or equipment. So let us not be doing that. Just snatch people out of their predicament gently. How hard is it, okay? So what we've got here is a drone's eye view of a recovering vehicle and a stuck vehicle. You've got a recovery point on each one of these vehicles. You've got a shackle in play and a snatch strap. And in evaluating the projectile risk or whether it should be a hard shackle or a soft shackle, let's look at what is the weakest link, okay? That's kind of important in determining the projectile risk. Vehicle recovery points typically rated at about five tonnes, okay? Five tonnes working load limit fails at Christ knows what, none of them say. 
The 4.7 tonne bow shackle, which you can attach to your recovery point, is going to fail at about 30 tonnes, let's say. And it's the same on this vehicle as well, right? Snatch straps, I just had a look at the ARB snatch strap online. It's rated at a minimum failure strength of 8 tonnes. So pretty clearly, in environments such as this, the snatch strap is the weakest link. When you break straps in a testing laboratory, they typically fail at the eye. So it's not so much the material itself that fails, it's the construction of the actual eye of the strap. This stitching here typically pulls apart, you know, and it fails incrementally as the load increases. You can hear it. It gives you a ton of warning, several tons of warning now that I think about it. So that's the failure mechanism. So let's just think about that, okay? If this eye breaks because the stitching fails, and 20% stretch, you know, so it's 1.6 metres of stretch, loaded up to about 8 tonnes, possibly more, because this is a minimum failure load, then this end of the strap is going to hurl towards the vehicle, but it's not really a projectile risk. I wouldn't want to be standing here where I might get hit by it, but hey, if you're snatching a vehicle, you've got no business standing here, have you? That kind of makes sense to me. So there's no case that I can see for an advantage in a soft shackle being used in a simple snatch strap recovery, one strap and points such as this. I'm just not seeing it. But everything is not always so simple, right? You might come across a family, shiny new four-wheel drive, not very used to it, stuck in some mud, and you might be well-equipped. You've got your recovery points on your vehicle, and they haven't. Okay, they've got their shipping tie-down points, which are what four-wheel drives typically come with standard. Okay, and they're not ideal for recovery, but what are you going to do? You're going to leave them stranded and say, oh, if it just been to ARB, mate, I could help you out. But instead, fuck you. <laughs> just stay there until, I don't know, whenever. I wouldn't be saying that. I'd be helping the dude, all right? So there's things you can do to mitigate this kind of risk of the shipping recovery uh, tie-down points fail, okay? If that fails, they're going to hurl towards you. That's kind of bad, okay? So I'd be getting a shovel out and I'd be making it easier to recover the vehicle. Do a little bit of back-breaking work. That's always good for the soul. I'd be getting out a jack and maybe packing up some stuck wheels to make it easier to recover the vehicle. And if you've got a tree protector strap, you can actually get the two shipping tie-down points. So vehicles typically come with two shipping tie-down points at the front. And you can put a shackle on each one of them and get your tree protector in the middle of them, thereby hooking it up in this way with a shackle and then the snatch strap to your vehicle doing the recovery, all right? And if you do that, this tree protector will effectively halve the load on each one of those recovery points, which are not really recovery points, if you know what I mean. So we all have to operate in imperfect situations from time to time. And, you know, the calibre of shipping tie-down points varies widely among vehicles as well. And what you've got to do is you've got to operate in an imperfect environment and mitigate risk if you want to do what's right, okay? So that's basically all I'm talking about here. I'm not going to say, yes, use shipping tie-down points to recover someone, but in some situations it might be morally and ethically right to do that, and you might have to just improvise in an imperfect situation. Okay, so you've just been out to ARB and you've got yourself a shiny new winch and you've gone out this weekend and got yourself nicely stuck to have a crack. Yes. 
<sighs> love that four-wheel driving. Winching is one of the more common ways, okay, of self-recovery. And drone's eye view, got your big fat tree, got your stuck vehicle, you got your winch out, the cable, shackle, tree protecting strap because hey that's how this works we don't know how strong the tree is obviously let's just hope it's strong enough shall we the pro tip with the tree though is don't get too big a tree for the strap because once the angle on the strap exceeds about 120 degrees then the load is out of control right because of the fudge factor for the vectors you really want the angle to be as tight as possible so for this reason if there's an option, short or long, for the tree protector strap, get a long one because it makes this angle more acute, all right? And good tree protector strap's gonna be rated about 12,000 kilos and you've got two arms, each rated at 12,000 kilos, minus a fudge factor for the vector, okay? It's gonna be about 20,000 kilos of total load restraint capacity built into the strap. The shackle is going to fail at about 30,000 kilos, so 20,000 for the strap, 30,000 for the shackle. The cable's pretty weak, actually, because if you look at a Warn Xeon 12S, which is Warn's premium, I think they call it a Warn Xeon 12S Platinum, it's Warn's premium 12,000 pound winch, okay? Now, Warn are epic bullshitters on winches, we'll get to that in a minute, but 9.5 millimeter cable, three eighths of an inch in the old money, fails at 14,400 pounds minimum, okay? Which is like six and a half tons, okay? So the cable is much weaker than any of this upstream apparatus and hopefully the tree as well. But the cable's kind of protected by the winch because Warren knows how hard it's bullshitting on the 12,000, all right? And the problem with 12,000 pound winches or any other winches is that they're so over-enthusiastic, so optimistic about what they can do. They can only technically deliver 12,000 pounds, which is about five and a half tons. They can only do that with the cable on the bottom layer of the drum because obviously, as the cable builds up on the drum, the diameter increases and the mechanical advantage is reduced, all right? So there's that. And you gotta add to that the fact that you need five wraps of cable on the drum because the only thing holding the cable on the drum is friction, right? The end stop of the cable is not capable of holding any load, you gotta assume, all right? So it's really these five so-called dead wraps that hold the cable on. So on the most effective layer of cable, you are unable to utilize five wraps. That's just how it is. And on that worn Xeon 12S Platinum, you've got another 19 wraps you can use, which equates to about five and a half meters of cable, all right? Which is about one car length, okay? So there's only one car length of useful cable out of the whole 30 meters or 100 feet of cable that is supplied with that winch. There's only five and a half meters where you could ever hope to deliver 12,000 pounds, all right? And let's not forget that at 12,000 pounds, just down here, at 12,000 pounds, you're pulling 450 amps out of that battery. And the line speed is gonna be for 12,000 pound winches, it's gonna be between three and five feet Per minute. So that's between three and five minutes to drag the vehicle its own length over some obstacle, all right? 
We pretty much are in the domain of absolute fantasy here. We're talking resurrection of Jesus miracle territory, okay? Because show me the battery that can deliver 450 amps for three to five minutes in that Goldilocks range of cable, which is so unlikely. You need to have the Goldilocks tree distance and everything's got to be perfect to be using those 19 wraps of cable, right? And you need the magical battery. So this whole operation, in my view, is protected by the gross under-delivery of the winch, okay? And then if the cable fails, that's the next weakest link. I mean, the winch is just going to stall if you don't have adequate load capacity to rip the vehicle out of whatever it's stuck in. But even if you do, and all of a sudden there's a miracle and you get twice as much grunt out of the winch, the cable's going to fail. And it's not going to drag the shackle towards you, but it is a risk. And you better have a ballistic protector blanket thingo on the cable to arrest some of that shock. And you better not have anybody standing in this vicinity because cables under load are tremendously elastic and brutally dangerous, all right? So it's always a good idea to drape something heavy, like a big tarpaulin or something of that nature. I think they actually make absolute uh, dedicated... Uh, shock arresters for cable, but you can improvise up if you've got a tarpaulin or something of that nature. However, I don't see any advantage whatsoever in putting a soft shackle in this position because none of this upstream stuff is going to break. And if the tree falls over, the shackle's not coming towards you. The tree's coming towards you and a soft shackle is absolutely not going to help. But there's more complex things you can do with winches and maybe we should canvas that as well. But before we do, we've got to talk about this whole business of the load restraint because some people just, it does their heads in thinking about 12,000 kilos here and 12,000 kilos here and a bit of an angle equals 20,000 kilos of restraint. And typically they go, well, 12,000 kilos here and 12,000 kilos here, what happens up the back? Because that's 24,000 kilos up the back when you add them together. And doesn't that just rip your tree protector apart? To which I would say, no, dude, it doesn't. Because of Isaac Newton, greatest scientific genius of recorded history, three laws of motion. And guess what? We only need the third one for this. And hey, it's the easy one. Forces come in pairs, dude. Action and reaction equal and opposite. Yes. So simplest example of that. Let's go and stand on the floor. Let's get a big, fat, four-wheel driving man, 100 kilos, and let's put him on the floor. So he's got 100 kilos of load, thanks to his own mass, pushing down on the floor. Maybe the floor's just the bathroom scales. Who knows? 100 kilos pushes back. And you better friggin' well hope the 100 kilos pushes back, okay? You really better hope that. Otherwise, if it doesn't, you're falling through the floor. Never fun. Okay, same thing happens if 100 kilo dude hangs off a chin-up bar. 100 kilos pushes down, chin-up bar pulls back up. Go figure. And if it doesn't, you're about to pull the chin-up bar into your face. That's nice. So let's just think about that. All forces come in pairs. Action and reaction are equal and opposite. If somebody annoys you, such as me, for example, and you see me walking down the street, you punch me in the face... The force on your knuckles equals the force on my face. For the entire time, your knuckles are in contact with my face. Of course, I'm unlikely to let you to do that, but man can dream. Let's get the same principle in play with a tree protector. Let's get a tree protector, brick wall, 
eye bolt and 100 kilo dude pulling back with 100 kilos. But let's make it hard on him to tell what's happening by putting a curtain that he cannot see through in front of him. So all he can see is a tree protector and him pulling on the tree protector, okay? I think you'd agree the tension in the tree protector is 100 kilos because he's providing it, yeah? Let's change the experiment, okay? By removing the brick wall and putting mirror reverso dude on the other side of the curtain with no visual evidence that this has taken place and mirror reverso dude is just pulling back with 100 kilos of force. This dude, original dude, he's still pulling the same 100 kilos. So what has actually changed? And what's the tension in the cable now? Is it 100 or 200? That's the question, isn't it? I'd suggest that it's 100. And I'd suggest that the facts are on my side. And you don't have to believe me, but it's 100. You don't have to agree with that, but it's 100. Because, hey, you don't have to agree with the facts. They're still the facts. That's always nice. All this mirror reverso dude is doing is exactly what the brick wall was doing, okay? Pull them back with 100, because otherwise the forces wouldn't be in balance. Isaac Newton would be very unhappy vis-a-vis -vis his third law, and this dude would be fallen over because we need that restraint force. The tension in both cases in the tree protector is 100. You've got 100 pulling down this way and 100 pulling down this way and 100 at every point in between those hands, baby. That's how this works. So all this is around the tree is that wrapped around a tree. And instead of 100, it's 12,000. And instead of being parallel, there's a bit of an angle, so we've got to fudge it a bit, but it's 20,000 kilos of load restraint. There's no other analysis that makes sense, or at least there's no other analysis that Isaac Newton would agree with. One of the cool things you can do, another hack with physics, if you're really, really stuck, is you can use a snatch block. And a snatch block is essentially just a pulley, okay? You wind the cable out, you go around the pulley, and then you anchor it to the recovery point on your bull bar or whatever, okay? And what it does is, it essentially has the capacity to double the effort or halve the load on the winch, but it also halves the speed, okay? Because nothing's free. That's one of the laws of thermodynamics. So you've still got your 20,000 kilos of load restraint capacity in your strap, which we just talked about, and hopefully your tree's still adequate. Your shackle still can withstand 30 tonnes or something without breaking. Your snatch block is different, though. It's got a sharp edge on it where the shackle goes through, so mm, there's that. And a working load limit, at least ARB's snatch block, has a working load limit of 9 tonnes, and it fails at a minimum of... 14,500, okay? So that's not much margin of safety when you think about it. And then you've got your cable, okay? You've got your two things of cable which are capable of withstanding about 13,000 kilos in total, okay? So that's over the working load limit of the snatch block, but the winch can't really deliver that, not easily anyway. The winch can deliver two strands of fantasy land five and a half tons a piece, which is 11 tons, okay? But fantasy land. So it's actually very hard to overload the working load limit of the snatch block, even though technically, if you look at the winch delivery capacity, it's capable of doing that, you know, if the battery's miraculous and you're on the right layer of the drum, blah, 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 previously discussed. So 
even in this sort of extreme situation where you've got, you know, double the power coming out of the winch and you've got all of this other effort and all this other stuff deployed, I really don't see the case for having a soft shackle here because none of this stuff is going to fail and you don't want it to fail. The thing that's going to fail is one of these strands of cable, but it would also require the winch to stall out. So it's more likely that the winch will just run out of grunt, the battery will run out of grunt, the winch will fail to deliver and everything's going to remain intact. So I can't see the case even here for using a soft shackle, sorry. But if you are looking for the light at the end of the tunnel for the soft shackle, then baby, we're at it. I can see that light. I'm going to go towards the light because in some situations, typically beach recoveries, some poor bastard gets into a really soft, slippery, sucky patch of quicksand below the high tide mark. So, hey, the whole four-wheel drive is going to be rooted if you don't get him out between now and the next high tide. That's always a bit of incentive, particularly for the dude who paid the big bucks on his 4x4. Your nine metre snatch strap may not actually be long enough for the vehicle doing the recovering to be in a safe location, i.e. out of the really soft sand. And in that situation, you sometimes have to join two straps together, okay? And in that situation, I would suggest that you're better off joining a winch recovery strap, like a winch extension strap, which is another polyester strap, but it's inextensible, not like a snatch strap, which is flexible. I really don't see the advantage in joining two snatch straps together, unless that's all you've got, because if you think about a snatch strap like a spring, its primary function is shock absorption. And what you do if you join two springs together, you get a spring that's twice as floppy and twice as long, okay? And you don't need the extra flop. You don't need the extra shock load uh, absorption capacity by doing that. It's not really an advantage. So you can also get winch extension straps in a variety of much longer lengths. So that makes them more versatile in this context. And there's no imperative whatsoever to have two snatch straps because if this is your winch extension strap right here and this is a snatch strap and you do the whole snatch recovery thing, then the shock absorption cap uh, capacity sorry, of the snatch strap is still going to operate on the winch extension strap. So you won't overload the winch extension strap. They're both rated to fail at eight tonnes minimum. So there's absolutely no advantage in having a second snatch strap here. And it's less versatile because snatch strap length is limited. The other thing you need to know about snatch, snatch straps, get it right, is that they are made out of nylon, okay? And nylon typically loses between 10 and 20% of its strength when it's wet, which it often is when you do snatch strap recovery. So that's something to bear in mind, even though it's not typically the material that fails, it's usually the stitching. So whether or not the strap itself loses any integrity as a result of being wet, the material it's comprised of, the nylon, absolutely does. So that's something to consider. If your snatch strap is wet, you might want to take it just a little bit easier on the aggressivity of the snatching maneuver to minimize this load a bit to compensate for the effect on the material of it being wet. But you should be minimizing the load in any case just for the safety of all parties concerned. Anyway, I think you'd agree in this situation, if you put a hard shackle in here, it is monumentally dangerous because 
if something breaks, if either one of these snatch straps, snatch or winch extension straps breaks, you've got a projectile in the form of one of these babies and this doesn't weigh very much and if it's got six tonnes acting on it, it accelerates very quickly indeed because F equals MA and mass is low. You know, so this is something I would not want headed towards the windscreen, frankly, if I was in either one of these vehicles, hit punch it through the back windscreen or through the front windscreen, very dangerous indeed. And this is why hard shackles are not recommended for this kind of recovery. And it's why this soft shackle is absolutely brilliant for joining two straps together. So if you're out there on the beach stuck in that way and you need to join those two straps together, there's a hack, obviously. And the hack, pretty simply, is you just put one of these straps, get your shorter one, and put it through the eye of the other one, right? And then you just get your other strap here, and you put it through the other end, and you just whip it all through, take out the slack, and ladies and gentlemen, your two straps are joined together, good to go sort of thing, I'm just getting it right here. And there you go, they're joined together and they're not coming apart, which is part of the problem if you do this. If you do this and then you go and add three, four, five tonnes to a snatch recovery operation, you're never getting them apart. And they're not safe to use like that either when they're locked together. So one recovery is going to cost you two snatch straps that may never be used again, which is why if you do this, if you perform this hack, you've got to put something through there, okay? Not optional to prevent the straps from binding up. And there's a bunch of different things you can use. They often say, I'll put a magazine in there or a newspaper. So you're stuck below the high tide mark and the tide's coming in. And what, you're just gonna nip out to the nearest news agency, are you? Look for a magazine, you know? I don't think so. You might wanna just improvise something that's close by. And what I typically come up with is the towel because you're at the beach, dude. Okay, you're gonna have a towel. You can have anything else too. You can roll up a bit of tarpaulin, anything that's reasonably stiff that's gonna get in there like that and just stop the straps from binding up on each other, you know? Then you just whip it out at the end of the recovery, however aggressively you need to do that, and you've got all this slack in here which you can then go and use to separate the straps. So all is not lost if you don't have the soft shackle, but that is a bit of a pain in the ass. And of course, if your towel falls out at an inopportune moment, like milliseconds before the load goes on, then hey, you're gonna have those two useless snatch straps, okay? And you're gonna have to throw them both away because that's just how this works. Instead, how elegant as a solution is this? You know, you just get your soft shackle and you put them together just like that much easier than rooting around for a towel. And baby, you are good to go. And if that is just not a thing of beauty and a joy to behold, in that situation where you're under the pressure of time, tides coming in, four-wheel drive's gonna be rooted by the Indian Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, whatever, I would suggest that a soft shackle is just worth its weight in frigging platinum in a situation such as that. 